upgrade your offices. It turned out that they had started their business working out of their home. When they decided to move from their home, they rented an inexpensive office and set it up with used furniture. Just as I had not known how to dress properly as a salesperson, they did not know how to lay out a business office. Because no one had given them any advice, their office looked cheap and second-hand. When prospects came in in response to their sales and marketing activities, their first impression was that this was a second-rate company. The office looked and felt low-budget. No matter how positive and cheerful they were in dealing with their customers, prospects could not get over the negative suggestive impact that the appearance of the office was having on their subconscious minds. They left and never returned. Take immediate action. Our coaching classes are held every 90 days. Once this couple understood the importance of the visual impact that their offices were making on their clients, they resolved to completely redecorate, get new furniture, put in new carpets, hang art on the wall, install a professional music system, and have fresh-cut flowers in their reception area. They went back and implemented these ideas immediately. When they returned to the coaching class after 90 days, they were bubbling with excitement. Their closing ratio had jumped from about 5% to about 50%. They had tripled their sales and profitability. They were absolutely amazed at the impact that their attractive and well-appointed offices had on their prospects. They received countless compliments from their new customers on how beautifully their offices were laid out. They had more than paid for the cost of redecoration within 30 days from additional sales and profits. Work from a clean desk. One of the rules of office etiquette is keep your desk clean. When you have a neat desk and an orderly office, you look like a successful person. On the other hand, when your desk is cluttered with all sorts of things, you look confused, disorderly, and incompetent. People conclude that it would be unsafe to do business with you. You should have only one thing on your desk at a time. The one item that you are working on at the moment. Everything else should be put away in drawers, on the credenza behind you, or in files. You can even clear your desk by putting everything in a stack and putting the stack on your floor behind the desk. But keep your desk clean. Double your productivity. I have found that people who work from a clean desk are two or three times as productive as those who work from a cluttered desk. When you work from a clean desk, you can focus and concentrate on one thing at a time. When your desk is cluttered, you are constantly arranging and rearranging papers and work. Most of the time, you are unsure where everything is. You spend an enormous amount of time going back and forth, getting little done. Single focus is the key to high productivity, and a clean desk is the key to single focus. Create an impression of value. When you look like a total professional, well-dressed and well-groomed, and your sales presentation is organized, efficient, and effective, the customer gets the unconscious feeling that you are selling a valuable product that is worth every penny you charge. As the customer's confidence in you and your company increases, his or her price resistance declines. First-class companies, represented by first-class people, find it much easier to charge higher prices than their second-rate competitors. The way you see is the way you will be. To succeed, you must see yourself as a complete professional in every respect. Treat yourself and your customers as if you were one of the best educated and most knowledgeable people in your business. Think of the behavior of an accountant or management consultant. 
In each case, these professionals do not start off talking to you in a random fashion. They have a series of questions that they ask you in order. They seek a specific quality and quantity of information that they request from you in a systematic way. And the more they focus on asking that series of questions about you and your situation, the more confident you feel in doing business with them. You are a world-class professional. Imagine yourself as a doctor of selling. The more time you spend asking your patient logical, intelligent, and well-organized questions, the more he feels that he is in the presence of a professional. His initial sales resistance and skepticism decline. His confidence in you increases. He relaxes and opens up. He realizes that you are there to help him solve a problem or achieve a goal. He begins to work with you rather than hold back from you. Walk the talk. Body language is also important in selling. According to Albert Morabian of UCLA, the message you convey in a sales conversation is 55% body language, 38% tone of voice, and only 7% in the words you use. Because people are highly visual, they are most affected by the predominant message that you convey, and this is usually communicated by the way you hold and use your body. When you walk, imagine that your head is dangling from a string, holding your entire body erect. You should breathe deeply with your shoulders back and your spine straight. Raise your chin and look straight ahead. Walk and move with strength and confidence. Pick up the pace. Don't shuffle along. Move fast as if you have places to go and people to see. Your overall physical impression should be one of a busy, active, confident, and effective sales professional. Shake hands firmly and fully. When you meet people, give a strong, full, firm handshake. This initial physical contact can often make or break the sale for you. When people feel your hand, they measure your character. When your handshake is strong and firm, they assume that you have good character and, by extension, represent a good product or service. Some salespeople that I meet give weak, indifferent handshakes, as if offering a cold fish. Others, especially women, give a half handshake, offering their fingers instead of a full handshake. This suggests that you are dealing with a half person. Not long ago, a gentleman came up to me at one of my seminars and asked me why he was having so much trouble in his sales work. He was quite proficient at getting appointments over the phone, but immediately after meeting the prospect in person for the first time, the sales conversation seemed to deteriorate. Something you can't hide. As soon as he shook hands with me, I knew the problem. He was originally from India, from a culture where people did not shake hands when they met. As a result, when he held out his hand to a prospect, his grip was weak and sloppy. The prospect immediately lost interest in him and his product, and he could sense it. No one had ever told him this. He had no idea how important a firm handshake was in initiating a business contact in our culture. He had thought that shaking hands was merely a formality that had no meaning. When he learned that a handshake was important, he began to practice giving full, firm handshakes to everyone he met. He wrote to me later and said that his sales had jumped from the very first week that he began practicing this new technique. The proper greeting. Someone once wrote a letter to Miss Manners, asking if the proper greeting upon meeting a new person was, pleased to meet you, or how do you do? Miss Manners replied by saying that the correct greeting is, how do you do? Humorously, she added that you do not say, 
pleased to meet you because you don't yet know if you are. When you meet a prospect for the first time, offer your hand, look the prospect directly in the eye, and say, how do you do? This initial contact is like the kickoff in a football game. If it is done properly, it can move you a long way down the field toward the goalposts of a successful sale. Sit erect, facing forward. When you sit in a sales situation, always face the prospect directly. Never lean against the back of the chair. This makes you look relaxed and uncaring about the purpose of your visit. Instead, sit with your back erect, lean slightly forward, stay alert, and be fully engaged, both physically and mentally, in the sales conversation. You should look like a runner at the mark waiting for the starting gun. Interestingly enough, we are greatly influenced by the body language of the people to whom we speak. When you are sitting up straight, leaning forward, and aware of your surroundings, you cause the prospect to be more interested and aware as well. He or she will pay closer attention to you and be more involved in your sales message. At an unconscious level, the prospect assumes that what you have to say is important and valuable. That individual will therefore pay closer attention to you than if you were lean back and relaxed during the sales conversation. Get the prospect to open up. If a prospect is sitting with his or her arms folded, this is usually not a good sign. Occasionally, it is because the office is too cold, but in most cases, it is a sign of disinterest. When a person's arms are folded, it usually means that his mind is closed. Folded arms are an unconscious body language way of blocking out incoming information. When he unfolds his arms, he opens his mind. Get the prospect to unfold his arms. It is fortunately quite simple. To open the client up to your message, begin by asking questions. If he does not relax and unfold his arms, hand him something physically, like a brochure or price list to read. Ask him to calculate a number or give you a business card. Use your ingenuity to get those arms unfolded so that he is more open and receptive to you and your message. Use positive body language. Cross legs can be sending the same message. When a customer's legs are crossed, it usually means that he is holding back information. If his legs are crossed at the ankle, it means that he is not telling you everything that you need to know. In the process of mirroring and matching, your prospect will tend to mimic your own body language. When you deliberately keep your arms unfolded and your hands open, with your feet flat on the floor, ankles uncrossed, your prospect will often engage in the same body language. When you lean slightly forward, listen attentively to what the prospect is saying, nod, smile, and listen, the prospect will often engage in the same behaviors. He or she will soon begin speaking, asking questions, and listening more attentively as well. Minimize noise and interruptions. People can only concentrate on one thing at a time. This is why it's so important to minimize the noise and distractions in the environment while talking to a prospect. Try to ensure that there are no interruptions. If you are in your prospect's place of business and there's a lot going on around you, ask if you can move to a location where you can speak for a few minutes without interruptions. Say, Mr. Prospect, I only need about 10 minutes of your time. Is there somewhere we could sit where we wouldn't be interrupted? You'll be happily surprised at how many prospects will immediately agree to this. Avoid barriers to communication. When you sit with the prospect, try to avoid barriers like tables or desks. If the prospect is sitting behind a desk, ask him if you could sit together at a table where you can more easily show him the material that you have brought with you. 
I have never had a prospect refuse to get up and move if a salesperson asked him to do so in a polite and pleasant way. When you sit next to a prospect, always have the individual sit on your left. This way, when you turn the pages of your presentation material, it's easy for the prospect to see everything you are doing. When you ask the prospect to move and he agrees, he begins the process of responding to your reasonable requests. This moves you closer to the point at which you can ask for the sale. Selling in the home. When you are selling in the home, there are certain special psychological dynamics to which you must pay attention. First of all, never make a sales presentation in the living room. People do not make important business or family decisions in the living room. They make them in the kitchen or at the dining room table. These are the places where they talk about business matters that affect them. Even though you are invited to sit in the living room, say instead, why don't we sit at the kitchen table where we will be more comfortable? Then stand. The suggestive influence of a professional salesperson standing up, waiting to be led to the kitchen or dining room table, is very powerful and almost unresistible. Wait to be seated. When you get to the kitchen or dining room table, wait for them to show you where to sit. Each person has a favorite chair at the table where they sit each day. You must be sure that you do not seat yourself in that chair. When you sit at the table, make sure that you can maintain eye contact with both people. When you ask questions and explain your product, continually alternate the person you are speaking to so that both people feel fully involved in the presentation. Always be polite. Finally, with regard to etiquette, whether in a place of business or at home, never forget your manners. Always be courteous and considerate with prospects, their employees, their spouses, and with other people in the office. When you go to your appointment at a place of business, always treat the receptionist with courtesy and respect. Treat everyone as if he or she was really important and valuable. Behave toward each person as if he or she is a million-dollar customer or has the potential to become one. The Reward for Treating People Well Perhaps the greatest benefit of all from treating people well is this. Whenever you do anything to raise the self-esteem of another person, your self-esteem goes up to the same degree. When you are polite and respectful, you like and respect yourself more while causing other people to like and respect themselves more at the same time. The more you practice these critical suggestive elements in selling, the more powerful, positive, and confident you become and the higher your sales will be. Now, here are seven action exercises for you. Number one, remember, everything counts. Take complete control of every factor that your prospect sees, hears, feels, and does. Plan in advance. Number two, visualize yourself as a doctor of selling, as a world-class professional, thoroughly knowledgeable, with an excellent product or service. Three, dress for success. Pattern your dress after the most successful and highest paid people in your business. Look like the kind of person that a customer can confidently take advice from. Four, be courteous with everyone you meet, from the receptionist through to the secretary and customer. Always be positive and cheerful. Number five, practice mental rehearsal before every sales call. Imagine yourself as calm, controlled, optimistic, and completely relaxed. The way you see yourself is the way you'll be. Number six, do everything possible to avoid noise or distractions of any kind when you are talking to a prospect. Have him move if necessary so he can concentrate on you and your product. And number seven, walk erect, chin up. 
Shake hands firmly and confidently. Carry yourself as if you are the best in your field. As Success Magazine said, by visualizing your goals, you can get your subconscious mind to work toward making those subconscious pictures come true. Chapter 7. Making the Sale Norman Vincent Peale wrote, Any fact is not as important as our attitude toward it, for that determines our success or failure. Everything you do in the sales process, from the first contact through to the close of the sale and the delivery of the product or service, has an effect. Nothing is neutral. Everything either helps or hurts. Nothing can be left to chance. It all counts. The first words out of your mouth begin the process that leads to either a sale or a rejection. When you meet a prospect for the first time, his or her level of sales resistance is at its highest. In fact, all prospects have what is called generalized sales resistance at the beginning of any meeting with any salesperson under almost any circumstance. This is a normal, natural part of living in a commercial society. It's a form of self-defense. Self-defense against sales messages. The average customer is exposed to perhaps 3,000 commercial messages a day from all sources. From the time he gets up in the morning, he is bombarded with sales messages on the radio, television, billboards, and store signs, in newspapers and magazines, on internet and in telephone calls and mail solicitations. Everywhere he turns, there are advertisements shouting, Buy this! To survive in a commercial society, a person must develop a high degree of sales resistance. First, he must filter out most of these messages, ignoring them, if for no other reason than to be able to function effectively. Second, he must be able to resist direct sales approaches from salespeople like you, or he will end up buying everything that is offered to him. As a professional, learn to expect this generalized sales resistance in your first meeting and to deal with it effectively. The Approach Close One of the most helpful ways to begin a sales conversation is with the approach close. When used successfully, this close can get the prospect to agree to making a decision after you have made your presentation. Rather than his saying something like, well, let me think it over, or I need to talk it over with someone, you can ask for a decision one way or the other. You reduce initial sales resistance by saying, Mr. Prospect, thank you very much for your time. Please relax, I'm not here to sell you anything right now. That's not the purpose of my visit. If you deliver this opening statement with a smile, the prospect will relax a little. He will still be suspicious, but not as much as before. You then say, all I want to do in the time we have together is to show you some of the reasons why so many other people have bought this product and continue to buy it. All I ask is that you look at what I have to show you with an open mind, determine whether or not it applies to your situation, and then tell me at the end of our conversation whether or not this product makes sense to you. Is that fair? With this approach close, you're offering an exchange. You are saying, I won't try to sell you anything if, in exchange, you will listen with an open mind. A fair exchange. Almost without fail, the prospect will agree to your offer. He has nothing to lose. In fact, he is now curious to know why so many other people have purchased your product and continue to purchase it. His mind is open and he is prepared to listen to you. There is a very strong suggestive element involved in this close. You are suggesting that the product is already popular and being used by a great number of people. All that is being asked of the prospect is that he agree 
or disagree that the same reasons that other people are using what you sell apply to him. You then begin your sales process by asking questions to find out what he is already doing and how your product or service might apply to his situation. Like a doctor of selling, you conduct a thorough examination to uncover needs that the prospect has that your product or service can satisfy. Once you are clear about the prospect's situation and needs, you can present your product as the ideal solution to his needs at this time, all things considered. At the end of your presentation, you have the psychological advantage. Ask for an answer. If the prospect says, well, I have to think it over, you can respond by saying, well, Mr. Prospect, I appreciate that, but you promised you would tell me one way or the other if this applied to your situation or not. You then say, and after what you've told me, it seems that this is ideal for you at this time, unless there is something else that I don't understand. This forces the prospect to give you a reason for hesitating or objecting. In either case, this allows you to answer the objection and go on to selling. But when a prospect ends with, I want to think it over, there's nothing you can do. You cannot continue selling unless you have an objection that you can answer. By using this approach close, you force the prospect to give you an objection which you can probably handle. You can use this approach close with virtually any product or service. When you suggest that large number of customers have already bought this and continue to buy it, you build a high degree of positive expectancy right at the beginning. You trigger the prospect's curiosity. You get him to listen to you with an open mind and to give you any reasons that might cause him to hesitate at the end rather than putting you off with, let me think it over. The demonstration close. This is a powerful closing technique that you can use early in the sales conversation. It often sets up the conditions necessary for you to make a sale at the end of your presentation. The demonstration close starts with a strong question aimed at the chief result or benefit that the customer would enjoy when he buys your product and simultaneously qualifies the prospect. When I was selling mutual funds, this method was very effective. I would open with the question, Mr. Prospect, if I could show you the best investment available in the market today, are you in a position to invest $5,000 right now? Change the focus of the conversation. This question changes the whole nature of the conversation. It is no longer, will you listen to me, but rather, how much are you capable of investing if I can fulfill the promise contained in my opening question? The prospect might say, yes, if the investment is as good as you say, I could invest 5000 today. You could further qualify the prospect by saying, if you really liked it, could you invest 10000 or more? The prospect can either say yes or no. In either case, you are qualifying the prospect more narrowly and determining exactly what his financial situation is, even before you begin talking about your product or service. Let's say the prospect says, I don't think I have $5,000. You can then ask, well, could you invest $3,000 if it was the best investment that you've ever seen? The prospect might then say, well, if it was as good as that, I could probably invest $3,000. The Qualified Prospect With these questions, you have qualified the prospect exactly in terms of his financial capacity. By answering your question, he has now given you permission to give your presentation and to prove whether or not you have the best investment or the best deal or the best offer or the best combinations of features and benefits or the best of whatever it happens to be that you offered him in your opening question. 
You can then give your presentation and demonstrate that what you are offering is absolutely excellent for him right now, all things considered. At the end of your presentation, he cannot say that he can't afford it, or that he doesn't have the money right now, or that he has to talk it over with someone else. He has already agreed that if your product or service is an excellent choice for him, he's in a position to buy it at this time. It works with any product. You can use this demonstration close to begin the sales process for virtually any product or service. You can use it to sell software and systems, business opportunities, or financial investment advice, insurance, or business services. If you're selling life insurance, for example, you could ask, Mr. Prospect, if I could show you the most comprehensive insurance policy available to protect yourself, your family, and your home at perhaps the lowest available price on the market today, would you be in a position to make a decision right now? When I was selling sales training to businesses, I would ask Mr. Prospect if I could show you a way to increase your sales by 20 to 30 percent over the next 6 to 12 months, are you in a position to go ahead with it right now? If the prospect says, well, yes, if you can show me a way to increase my sales by 20 to 30 percent, I could make a decision immediately. Your job then is to show the prospect that your product or service will definitely deliver on the promise you made in your opening statement. You can demand an answer. The beauty of the demonstration close is that it forces the prospect to give you an answer at the end of the presentation. Instead of saying that he needs to think about it or talk it over with someone else or check his finances or some other excuse, he has promised to give you an answer immediately one way or another. Buyer Personality Types There are six basic personality profiles that you will run into every day in selling. It's important that you recognize these different personality styles and that you learn how to deal effectively with each one. 1. The Apathetic Buyer The first personality type you will meet in selling is the apathetic prospect. This type of buyer represents about 5% of the total. He's the kind of person who's never going to buy anything, no matter how good it is. He is usually pessimistic, cynical, and often depressed or uninterested. The apathetic buyer doesn't care how good it is, how cheap it is, or how successful it is for other people. He's not going to buy, even if you give it away. You run into apathetic buyers occasionally. They usually have a lot of problems in their own personal and business lives. They are down on themselves, down on life, and down on you. They have so many problems that they just don't care what you have to offer. Even if you're offering an apathetic buyer a $100 prize for $5, he wouldn't take it. They waste your time. A friend of mine was once selling an excellent product for $295. The person with whom he was speaking was perfectly qualified to buy it and use it. He needed it and he could afford it. But he was an apathetic buyer. No matter what my friend said, this customer replied by saying, It's too expensive, it's too expensive, it's too expensive. Finally, in exasperation, the salesperson asked him, What if I gave it to you for $200? It's still too expensive. My salesman friend said, How about 100 The apathetic buyer said, I still couldn't afford it. Finally, my friend said, How about $5? I still wouldn't buy it. This is the typical apathetic buyer. They just don't care. They are negative and indifferent. When you meet these people, you will recognize them right away. Instead of tiring yourself out with them, extricate yourself as politely as you can and leave. Go and talk to someone else who will be more likely to buy. 2. The Self-Actualizing Buyer On the other end of the scale of buyer types, you find the self-actualizing buyer. 
The self-actualizing buyer is exactly the opposite of the apathetic buyer. These buyers also represent about 5% of the customer market. The self-actualizing buyer knows exactly what he wants, exactly the features and benefits he is seeking, and exactly what price he is willing to pay for it. If you have what he is looking for, he will take it immediately, right now, with few or no questions. He is positive, pleasant, and a pleasure to deal with. All you have to do is have the product or service he seeks, and the sale is made. These buyers are rare. The self-actualizing buyer, like the apathetic buyer, is rare, never more than 1 in 20 prospects. But if you call on enough people, every so often, you run into one of these self-actualizing buyers. And the sale is so easy that you say to yourself, if I could sell like this all the time, I'd be rich. In dealing with self-actualizing buyers, always sell them exactly what they say they want. Don't try to sell them something else or something different, and don't change the specifications. You might give them some additional information, but don't try to talk them into something other than what they have their hearts set on. If you don't have what they want, tell them immediately that you don't have it, and suggest to them where they might find it. 3. The Analytical Buyer The third type is the Analytical Buyer. This person represents about 25% of the market. This type of buyer is self-contained and task-oriented. He is not particularly outgoing, but he is quite concerned about accuracy and detail. The primary motivator of the analyzer buyer is accuracy. You will find these people in any field that requires detail orientation to be successful. They will be accountants, engineers, bankers, financiers, loan officers, and computer specialists. The primary focus of their questions to you will be the exact numbers, details, and specifications of what you sell. Slow down and be exact. When you are dealing with an analytical buyer, you must slow down and avoid generalizations. Be specific and clear. Be prepared to prove on paper everything you say. The more precise you can be about the benefits of your product or service and how this customer can acquire them, the easier it is for this person to eventually make a buying decision. The more detail you give him about how your product works, what it costs, how it performs, how it will be serviced, and so on, the happier he will be. These buyers love details. They can sit and study details, charts, and graphs for hours. Analytical buyers do not make decisions in a hurry. They are slow to make up their minds. They need to be left alone with your material to reflect on it and analyze it. They will often come back to you with a series of questions for clarification. There is no point in trying to rush these people. They are far more concerned about making the correct decision than they are about saving money or speeding up the transaction. Number four, the relator buyer. Another customer you will deal with is the relationship-oriented person. These represent approximately 25% of the customer market, depending on what you sell. They tend to be self-contained and not particularly exuberant or expressive. You have to slow down and relax to get along well with them. Relators are very concerned about people. They are sensitive to how people think and feel about various subjects. In considering a product or service, they're concerned about how people might react or respond to their choices. They imagine what people's opinions might be, positive or negative, and they're often hypersensitive to the opinions of other people. Relators naturally gravitate toward the helping professions. They become teachers, personnel administrators, psychologists, nurses, and social workers. They need to be liked. This type of customer worries about what people might think if the relator bought a particular product or service. 
she always has to talk it over with someone, often with lots of people. Sometimes she has to ask every member of her family, plus her friends and associates, before she can buy a new product or service. The primary motivation of relators is to get along well with others. They strive for harmony and happiness among the people around them and become distressed at the thought of someone being unhappy for any reason. Focus on other happy customers. When you're selling a product or service to a relator, she will ask you a lot of questions about others who use the product. She will want to know if the product will be popular and accepted by the other people who will be affected by her purchase. She wants to be sure that others will find it attractive and suitable. If you're selling her a home, her primary concern will be the likely reactions of other people when they see and visit the home. When you sell a relator clothes or cars, her main interest will be how other people respond to her choices. Build a relationship. Relators like to talk and ask questions about you and how you think and feel. They like to talk about the product or service and how other people have reacted to buying and using it. They want to develop a relationship with the salesperson until they feel comfortable talking about your product or service in the first place. When you deal with a relator or an emotional buyer, she may want to spend an hour or two getting to know you and then have you come back and spend another hour or two to build a relationship. She wants to feel comfortable with you so that she can get her mind around you and the product or service that you are offering. Don't rush them. Relator type buyers tend to be slow in making up their minds. They are generally hesitant and indecisive. They like to think about things a lot. They can decide to buy your product and then change their minds completely if one other person voices criticism or disapproval of their decision. You must develop the ability to be patient, sensitive, and thoughtful when dealing with relationship-oriented buyers. Number five, the driver buyer. The fifth type of buyer is more task-oriented than any other kind. He has the personality profile of the director. He is direct, impatient, and wants to get straight to the point. He is business-like and practical. His greatest concern is getting results. Because the task-focused buyer is impatient and outgoing, he will be direct and to the point with you. He will want to know what your product is, what it does, what results he will get, how much it costs, how sure he can be that your product or service will deliver on your promises, and how long it will take. Get straight to the point. A driver buyer does not like small talk, and he has no interest in developing a warm relationship with the salesperson. He wants to get to the bottom line quickly and make a decision, yes or no. Results or task-focused persons gravitate to those occupations where this temperament is most in demand. They become entrepreneurs, hard-driving salespeople, and sales managers. They become senior executives in positions where they are directly responsible for measurable results. They are fire chiefs and the heads of SWAT teams. They are people who get the job done fast and do it well. They are busy and preoccupied. Task-focused buyers are busy. You are interrupting them and keeping them away from something that they consider to be more important than you. They want you to cut to the chase quickly. They don't want a big build-up about how your product or service was conceived and designed. They only want you to answer the question, what's in it for me? This type of buyer is a pleasure to deal with if you can demonstrate that your product or service will get him the results that he wants. Like all buyers, he seeks improvement. And the clearer it is that your product or service will improve his life or work, the faster he will give you a yes answer. Task-focused buyers are decisive and clear. They know what they want, and if you have it, 
they will want to get it and begin using it immediately. When you deal with a buyer like this, you must speed up your presentation, get to the bottom line quickly, and focus on the specific results or benefits that he will enjoy if he buys from you. This type of buyer represents about 25% of potential buyers, depending on what you sell. 6. The Socializer Buyer The sixth type of buyer is the Socializer Type Buyer. This person is outgoing and extroverted. He likes working with and through people to get results. He's often called the integrated buyer in that he operates with a nice balance between people orientation and task orientation. This type of buyer gravitates toward fields that require a high degree of coordination among different types of people to get the job done. They become supervisors, managers, and executives, as well as orchestra conductors, senior administrators in large professional firms, presidents of nonprofit organizations, and other positions where the ability to coordinate a variety of people to accomplish goals is necessary. The socializer is achievement-oriented. Because of his extroverted socializer-type nature, the chief concern of this person is himself and other people. He likes to talk about you as well as himself. He likes to talk about achievement and results. He enjoys telling you what he has done in the past and is very interested in knowing about you and what you have accomplished. Sometimes the socializer buyer agrees too quickly and does not remember details. He might agree to do something with you or buy something from you, and a few days later forget about it completely. Or even worse, he will remember the conversation differently and will be surprised at your interpretation of your meeting with him. Put it on paper. When you deal with this kind of extroverted, outgoing buyer, as soon as you reach an agreement of any kind, you should write it down and get a copy off to him. Send him an email. Remember, with this type of buyer, understandings prevent misunderstandings. This type of buyer represents about 25% of the customer market. You can always tell when you meet a socializer type buyer because he will be warm, friendly, outgoing, interested in you, and will ask a lot of questions. Different strokes for different folks. Most successful salespeople tend to be either socializers or directors or a combination of these two styles. A relator-type salesperson would usually be too sensitive to the opinions of others to ever ask for the order or try to close the sale. An analyzer-type salesperson would be so concerned about details and information gathering that he would never call on a prospect. If he did call on a prospect, he would be far too concerned about getting more information for the prospect than he would be in asking for the order. The great problem in sales is that we all tend to see the world through our own eyes. As a result, we tend to treat everybody else as if they are the way we are. If you're a socializer, you will treat everyone else as if they are also socializers. If you're a director-type salesperson, you will be blunt and to the point and expect people to make quick decisions once you have shown them good reasons to buy. Personal Flexibility To achieve success in sales, you must develop personality flexibility. This requires that you take a few moments to assess the type of prospect you are talking to and adjust your personality accordingly. If you're talking to a relator, slow down, ask a lot of questions, and focus on the relationship. Take the time to help the prospect understand how your product or service will be appreciated and accepted by others who will be affected by it. Don't rush the person or try to get her to make a quick decision. By going slowly and patiently, you will eventually succeed for the relator-type buyer. When dealing with an analyzer, 
Again, you must slow down and concentrate on details. Take time to answer every question, preferably in writing. Be specific with regard to your claims. In your conversation, allow silences and give the prospect an opportunity to think about what you have just said. Be patient, polite, and persistent. Give the customer what he wants. In dealing with a director-type buyer, you must get straight to the point. Even if you are a socializer and you like to talk and get to know people, you must hold this tendency in check while dealing with the driver. Instead, answer his questions directly and focus on the bottom line result that he will get from using your product or service. The more convinced the driver is that your product or service will help him in a short period of time, the faster he will make a buying decision. When dealing with a socializer, be positive and open. When the prospect begins talking about personal or business matters that have nothing to do with your product, gently bring the conversation back to focus on the reason for your visit. When the prospect agrees to go ahead, write the sale up quickly and get a signature as fast as you can. Otherwise, he might forget or misremember. Take time to observe and analyze others. Before you begin to sell, figure out what type of person you are talking to and then structure your answers and your presentation in such a way that it satisfies their needs rather than yours. Even better, develop four separate sales presentations the analyzer-thinker, the relator-people-person, the director-driver, and the socializer-achievement type of buyers. Be prepared to slip in and out of different sales roles as you find yourself dealing with different types of customers. Moving right along. The true beginning of the sales process is after the salesperson has established a certain degree of trust and rapport with the prospect. Trust is the major factor in the sales process today. Until a person likes and trusts you, he is not open to what you are selling or how good it can be for him and his company. Trust is everything. The bigger the product or service, the longer it usually takes to develop this feeling of trust and rapport. With large products or services, the entire first meeting can be taken up with feeling each other out and sensing whether or not there's a good fit between a salesperson and the company. The way to build trust. The very best way to build trust in a sales relationship is to ask the prospect questions and listen carefully to the answers. The more you show that you are genuinely interested in the prospect and his situation, the more the prospect will be open to giving you information and accepting your recommendations. And never even start talking about your product or service until you have activated the friendship factor. You have to develop a bond of friendship before you can bridge into the development of a customer relationship. Customers are careful. In selling expensive, sophisticated products with a long life and installation time, it will often take three or four visits just to reach the point where the relationship is strong enough that you can talk business seriously. It's not uncommon for the sales process to require six months or more of meetings and proposals before the customer feels comfortable enough to make a large, long-term commitment. Be patient. There's a good reason for this caution and delay. In many cases, the prospect's reputation and even career can be on the line. If he makes the wrong buying decision for his company, it can cost him his job. He can be demoted or even fired. For this reason, he cannot afford to make a mistake. Begin qualifying early. Use the approach close or the demonstration close in your first interaction with the customer. This enables you to qualify him immediately. 
The answer to one or both of these questions tells you at the beginning whether or not he is in the market for your product. If I could show you exactly the car you are looking for at perhaps the best price in the city, would you be interested in taking it for a drive? If the prospect says, no, I just bought a car and I won't need another one for a few years, then you know that this person is not a prospect. There's no point in trying to establish a high-quality relationship and understand more about her situation. She is not in the market. The purpose of the presentation. Your opening question is to discover whether or not a person is a prospect for what you are selling. The purpose of subsequent questioning is to further qualify the prospect and to discover the key reasons why he might buy. Each product contains a variety of features and benefits. Features arouse interest, but benefits arouse buying desire, the saying goes. The purpose of the presentation is to explain the features that your product or service includes and to demonstrate the benefits that they offer to your prospect. In a way, you are a bit of a detective. You are looking for clues that will lead you to the sale. You are presenting features and benefits for the purpose of eliciting buying interest on the part of the prospect. You are watching and listening to uncover reasons why he would buy. Present one feature benefit at a time. The process of your presentation is not to show all of the information available on your product or service. It is to show one feature or one benefit at a time and to find out which of these benefits are of greatest interest to your prospect. If you have 10 features and benefits listed in order of descending importance from the most attractive benefit your product offers down to the least, unveil your features and benefits in that order. If your prospect brightens up and becomes intensely interested when you mention your second most desirable benefit, you can then focus on that and even start moving toward closing the sale. Conclude the sale. Once it's clear that your customer most desires a particular benefit that your product or service offers, you don't need to go through numbers 3 through 10. When you have found the hot button, begin focusing on that specific benefit, showing the customer how he can enjoy that benefit when he buys your product. The prospect says in response to a particular point in your presentation, wow, that's great, I've never seen that before. We need that around here. How long does it take to get something like that delivered? When this happens, you can ask for the order immediately. You don't need to go on talking any further. Simply say, how soon would you need this? And close the sale. Buyers are sometimes ready now. One of the top mutual fund salespeople I ever met has spent years developing his sales presentation. It moved from the general to the particular. It included every benefit that an investor could enjoy from a mutual fund. By the time the presentation was complete, it included 32 different points at which he could close the sale. What he told me was that every prospect is either very close to buying when he meets the salesperson for the first time or very far away. Actually, most prospects are somewhere in between. Some prospects only need one or two reasons to say yes. Other prospects require a much longer sales process before they're ready to buy. His sales presentation was designed to be effective with any prospect he met at any stage of the buying cycle. Ask for the order early. Sometimes he could close right at the beginning with a highly qualified prospect. In his mutual fund presentation, he would start by asking a question such as, would you like to see a way to get the highest return on your money with the lowest possible risk in the market today? If the prospect says yes, 
my friend would take out a piece of paper and draw two circles. He would say, Mr. Prospect, these two circles represent what you can do with your money. If you put your money into the first circle, into a traditional savings account, you can earn 3 to 5% on your money before taxes. Isn't that right? But if you put your money into the second circle, into a well-managed mutual fund, you can make 10 to 15% on your money and pay no taxes on the money until you withdraw it. Which of these two would you prefer? Often, if not always, the prospect would say, well, I would rather get 10 to 15% of my money. The salesman would say, great, why don't we get started right away? Take action to close the sale. He would then take out an application form, write the date on the upper right-hand corner, and ask, what is the correct spelling of your last name? When the prospect gave him the spelling of his name, the sale was made. He would then go on to wrap up the details and conclude the transaction. This salesman eventually became one of the most successful and highest paid people in his field in the country. Keep the initiative. Sometimes the prospect would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need some time to think about this. He would immediately say, may I ask, how much money do you have in your savings account today? About $5,000. My friend would then say, Mr. Prospect, which do you think is best, 3 to 5% or 10 to 15%? Well, I guess 10 to 15% is better, his prospect would respond. Exactly. Do you have your checkbook with you? He would then simply assume the sale and begin filling out the form. The prospect would have to stop him to keep the sale from going through. He seldom did. What he found was that in dealing with a qualified prospect, he could roll into the close of the sale as soon as the prospect made it clear that he wanted the primary benefit that he would get from buying the product. What we have found over the years is that many sales are delayed far longer than they need to be because salespeople are reluctant to ask for the order and bring the transaction to a close. Selling Tangibles versus Intangibles Closing the sale on a tangible product requires a different method than closing on an intangible product. When you have made a presentation on a tangible product, such as a car, a photocopier, a cellular telephone, or a refrigerator, and the prospect has no further questions, you should ask for the order immediately. When the prospect fully understands what you are selling, how it works, and how he or she will benefit from owning and enjoying it, it's time to close the sale. When you've completed your presentation, the prospect knows everything that he will ever know about buying and enjoying your product or service. He will not learn anything new or different after you leave or he leaves. This is the high point of the sales presentation. From this point onward, the customer will gradually forget the features and benefits of the product and gradually lose his interest and desire in purchasing. Be polite but persistent. If the prospect says, well, it looks pretty good, let me think it over. You can immediately reply by saying, Mr. Prospect, at this moment you already know everything you will ever know about this product. From what you've told me, it looks like an excellent choice for you. Why don't you just take it? You will be absolutely amazed at how often the prospect will say, well, okay, I'll take it. But if you give the prospect an opportunity to walk away and think it over, chances are the prospect will gradually forget why he was ever attracted to your product or service in the first place. Even worse, the prospect will run into another salesperson who is a little bit more assertive and will end up buying your product from the other person. This happens all the time. No more callbacks. When I was a new salesman just starting out, I was selling a discount card from office to office for about 100 local restaurants. 
the price was $20. Whenever the owner of the card showed it at a restaurant, he would get 10 to 20% off the bill. The card would therefore pay for itself in one or two uses. It was a simple product, a simple benefit, a simple decision, and a simple sale. But when I went out selling, I was really nervous. I would make my presentation and then wait. The prospect would invariably say, well, let me think it over. I would thank the prospect very much and promise to call back on him in a few days after he had a chance to think it over. Surprise, surprise, nobody ever thought it over and nobody bought the card. When I phoned, the prospect was never available. If I went back to his office, I was left sitting in the waiting room indefinitely. I was making almost no sales and I was getting desperate. The light went on. One day I had a revelation. I realized that it was me who was causing prospects to hesitate from buying. I already had decided in the back of my mind that people needed to think it over. I would even suggest if the prospect was hesitating, why don't you think it over? But from that day forward, I developed a new tactic. After I had given my presentation and the prospect said, well, let me think it over, I would say, I'm sorry, I don't make callbacks. I remember the first time I said this to a prospect. He was surprised. He said, what do you mean? I told him, Mr. Prospect, you know everything you need to know to make a decision today. This is a great product that pays for itself in one or two uses. After that, you can save five or a hundred times the cost of the card. Why don't you just take it? To my surprise, the prospect said, okay, that makes sense. I'll take it. I walked out with a whole new attitude towards selling and closing. On my next call, I did and said the same things and again got a sale. On my third call, it was the same. Soon, I was selling more than anybody else in my company and more than most of them put together. I sold to virtually every person I spoke to because I refused to make callbacks. Think about how this might apply to your selling as well. Intangibles are different. If you're selling an intangible product where the prospect may or may not be in a position to benefit from the values contained in your offering, you usually need to make more than one call. On the first call, you merely separate prospects from suspects. You ask questions and qualify the prospect to determine whether or not he can benefit from what you sell. You find out his exact needs and then arrange to return for a second appointment with some recommendations and perhaps a written proposal. Use the sales two-step. In selling an intangible product such as an insurance policy, an investment, or any kind of service that requires customizing and tailoring to the specific needs of the customer, use the two-step sale. On your first call, you ask questions to determine if the prospect can benefit from your product or service. On the second call, you return with a proposal or recommendation complete with prices and terms and show the prospect how he or she can most benefit from what you are selling. The reason you use a two-step sale when selling a more complex service is because you're not in a position to make a buying recommendation in the first call. You do not have enough information, nor do you have sufficient rapport and trust to ask for the order. Prior planning prevents poor presentations. One behavior that separates highly paid professionals from poorly paid amateurs in the sales profession is the planned presentation. The planned presentation is 20 times more powerful than the spontaneous presentation. All sales professionals in the top 10% use a planned presentation. The low money earners, those in the bottom 80% of salespeople, simply say whatever comes out of their mouths when they meet with customers. This is not the path for you. 
The planned presentation is a step-by-step -step process of learning and teaching. It begins with your opening question. From your opening question, you move through the process of learning the situation and needs of the prospect to teaching the prospect what your product does and what it can do for him. You move from the general to the particular, from the known to the unknown. Show, tell, and ask questions. The simplest process is a feature and benefit presentation. A simple format you can use for every feature and benefit is the three parts. Show, tell, and ask questions. For example, if you were selling a new piece of computer software, you would show the prospect the software loaded onto the computer. You would then tell the prospect how the software can improve his business. Finally, ask a question. Would this be helpful to you in your business? Three-part presenting. Another three-part method of presenting your product uses the structure because of this, you can, which means. These three parts are the product feature, the product benefit, and then the customer benefit, which is the real reason why the customer will buy. For example, if you were selling a flat screen television that hangs on the wall, you could say, because of this flat screen, the product feature, you can see from every angle, product benefit, which means that you can turn your living room into a theater for your family and friends the customer benefit. List every feature and benefit of your product or service and then write out both types of presentation. Show what it is, tell what it does, and then ask for feedback or approval. Explain the product feature, the benefit of that feature for the product, and then the benefit to the customer of both. You'll be amazed at how much more persuasive your presentations become. What your product does. There are two different approaches to presenting any product or service one used by the professionals, and the second used by amateurs. The first approach, used by highly paid professionals, is to focus on what the product does. The second approach, used by low paid amateurs, is to focus on what the product is. In reality, all the customer cares about is what the product does, what's in it for him. In selling to businesses, the primary reason that anybody buys anything is to either make or save time or money. These are the answers to what your product or service does. When you speak to business people, they're only concerned with the end result, the direct, measurable outcome that they will get from giving you money for your product or service. Four questions you must answer. Business people ask themselves four questions. You must answer these questions clearly and distinctly if you're going to make the sale. The questions are one, how much do I pay? Two, how much do I get back? Three, how soon do I get these results? Four, how sure can I be that I will get the results you promise? Your entire sales presentation must revolve around answering these questions to the prospect's satisfaction. Often, you'll have to build a case for buying and using your product or service. Very much like a lawyer presenting a case in court, you'll have to present one piece of evidence after the other in sequence with each feature and benefit leading to and reinforcing the next feature and benefit. Emotion or logic. Sometimes I ask my audiences, what percentage of a person's decisions is based on emotions and what percentage is based on logic? Almost everyone will say that people are 90% emotional and only 10% logical. But the correct answer is that people are 100% emotional. Thinking takes time and effort, but emotions are instantaneous. As I discussed earlier, this is why in sales, prospects decide emotionally and then justify logically. 
If a prospect feels good about you and your company, if he likes you and respects you, if you have a good relationship, then the power of liking will very often lead to the sale. Logic makes sales. Nonetheless, no matter how much the prospect wants your product emotionally, he still must be convinced logically that he will get the emotional benefits that he desires. As the saying goes, logic makes sales. When you build your presentation from the ground up, moving from point to point, offering specific benefits and then explaining logically how the prospect achieves those benefits, your sales presentation is built on a solid foundation. Once the customer decides to buy, he'll remain sold afterwards rather than having misgivings or buyer's remorse. Here's an example of how I used to sell sales training, beginning with the emotion, the desire to increase sales results, and then reinforcing it with the logical reasons why this was achievable. My opening question would be, Mr. Prospect, would you be interested in seeing a way to increase your sales by 20 to 30 percent over the next 6 to 12 months? If the prospect was responsible for sales and qualified, he would say, sure, what is it? I would respond, Mr. Prospect, this is a proven methodology that has worked for hundreds of companies to increase their sales, and it is unconditionally guaranteed. If it doesn't work, it costs you nothing. This would immediately relax the prospect and enable him to open up and listen to me with great interest. Ask logical questions. Mr. Prospect, who are your highest paid salespeople? Are they the ones with the highest levels of motivation or the lowest levels of motivation? The prospect would always say, my top people are the most motivated. I would say, great, that's what everyone says. Let me tell you what I think is the best definition of motivation. It is this. Motivation comes from an enhanced feeling of competence. In other words, Mr. Prospect, people are the most motivated when they feel they are the most capable of getting results. Isn't that true? The prospect would almost always agree. Mr. Prospect, what we have found is that the more you train your people with proven sales skills and techniques, the more motivated they are to use them to make more sales and more money for themselves. Does this make sense to you? Again, the prospect would almost always agree. Mr. Prospect, what we have found is that when we train people with these advanced selling skills, their sales go up immediately. More important, once they have these new skills, they can use them over and over to get even better results. And the more they use these skills, the better they get at them. Does that seem sensible? Give measurable benefits. Mr. Prospect, if your average sale increased just 10% in the first month, they would probably continue to increase throughout the entire year. Isn't that right? Again, the prospect would agree. Mr. Prospect, if your sales went up steadily from the first month throughout the entire year, they would easily increase 20 to 30% on average. How much would that mean in terms of total dollars to your bottom line if you increased your sales 20 to 30% over the next 12 months? The prospect would quickly calculate that his return on investment in sales training would easily be 1,000% or more. For every dollar he spent on sales training, he would get back $10 or more to his bottom line. Once the prospect had made this calculation, it was quite easy to close the sale. Guarantee satisfaction whenever possible. My closing argument would be, Mr. Prospect, if anyone who takes this course does not feel that he or she will get a 10 or 20% increase in sales by using these ideas, there will be no charge for that person. 
If you personally do not feel that your people will get a 10 or 20% increase in sales by using these ideas, there will be no charge for the entire program. How does that sound? Using this presentation, going from the general to the particular, focusing on the benefit but emphasizing the logical financial benefit for the prospect, I was able to sell millions of dollars worth of sales training.